Good evening. If you'll please take your Bibles and turn again to Revelation 22. Revelation 22, we're working through the first five verses there. Uh, we have already been served a feast this morning. A feast that I would encourage you to think about and dwell on throughout the week. Pastor John English did a great job this morning talking about what the Holy Spirit is to us, and I hope that tonight will be a complement to that sermon. Thus far in Revelation 22, we've seen that heaven is going to be a place where life abounds, where there's going to be worship, and it's going to be central, where we will behold our Savior's face, and we will know no more ramifications of the curse. This evening, we're going to focus on the subject of identity and identity with Christ. Heaven will be a place where we will fully embrace our relationship with Christ. There will be no more hindrances of the flesh, the world, and the devil. Thomas Brooks, a Puritan pastor, wrote this. He says, if our souls are fully assured that God has loved us freely, received us graciously, justified us perfectly, pardoned us absolutely, and is going to glorify us everlastingly, then we cannot help but to love what he loves, embrace what he embraces, and be one with everyone that is one with Jesus. This is the ideal identity for the Christian. And tonight, my aim is to show you that this is what we will have in heaven perfectly and what we can strive for here on earth. And as I read the passage this evening, I would encourage you to take special emphasis on the last words of verse 4 because that's where I'm driving from. This is, where, this is sort of where we have a pasture seat to look at. Revelation 22, verse 1. Then the angel, said, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign with him forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask, Lord, that you would allow us to hear from your word. That your word would be powerful. That it would move our hearts to love you and to love one another. Father, that you would not allow our ears to be shut off from your word, Father. Allow us to see Christ and him crucified and him ultimately glorified and him in our lives. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would give us minds and hearts that seek to please you this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. His name, his very name, our Savior's name, will be written on our forehead. A person's name historically has often been tied to their identity. All of life is based on 
our identity, who we are versus who we think we are. And unfortunately, we live in a postmodern relativistic culture where we as individuals have been deceived into thinking that we choose who and what we will be. Let me give you an example of this. It doesn't matter if you were born male or female. In our culture today, you get to choose your sexual orientation and how you live based on what you desire. This has been proven really even in the last few weeks. We've seen our president issue an executive order where biology no longer matters in regards to sports. If you are biologically a boy, you can now play girl sports if you only identify as a girl. Actually, there's a movie that's getting critical acclaim. That's not, that shouldn't be surprising to you. There's a movie coming out that's getting critical acclaim trying to normalize this behavior. We live in strange times, a strange world. Some parents right now are choosing not to name their children until the child is old enough for themselves to choose based on their own desire, their own identity, their own gender. In the coming years, we are going to be inundated. Your children will be inundated with terms like gender fluidity and identity. Those terms will be normal vocabulary in normal conversations. We live in a world where our God-given identities are being skewed by our fallen natures. Now, this isn't the only identity crisis we have going on in the world. People are finding their identities, their hopes in all kinds of places, whether it be our race, our positions in this world, or our employment. Husbands and fathers are finding more confidence in their labors at work than shepherding their home. They would rather spend time doing paperwork, crunching numbers, and strategizing about the next big move than to open the word with their families, to point their families, their very children, to the person of Christ. People right now are trying to find their identities online, in social media. They are clout chasing, fishing for compliments. The world has even come up with a term called grandstanding, which means that you're acting in a showy manner just to attract attention. Similarly, virtuals, uh, virtue signaling has become a term where you just post something to get attention. The main point, main point though, is that we are all tempted. We're tempted to find our identity in places and people other than Christ. Let me turn to this idea of naming for a second. From the very beginning, God chose to give names that expressed our identity, expressed where we came from. The Hebrew word for Adam means earth, ground. Out of the dust, Adam was formed. But it also can be translated man or mankind. God even said in Genesis that he should call Eve woman because she was taken out of man. God names man and woman based on how he made us, how he formed us, how we're unique. And often in the word, a person's name, a person's name gives legal recognition and identity. And as we look in heaven, that's where we're going to ultimately end, as we look in heaven, we will see forever 
that we have our Savior's name written on our foreheads. Our identity will for all eternity be associated with our Lord, our Savior. The, question, the, the main question I want us to get at tonight is what does it mean? What does it mean for you to be associated with Christ in this manner? I have two points in regards to our identity with Christ. First, it's a long point, identifying with the flesh, the world, and the devil may bring temporal satisfaction, but eternal torment in hell. Secondly, union with Christ may bring, will bring, new identities and eternal security in heaven. So first, identifying with the flesh, the world, and the devil may bring temporal satisfaction, but eternal torment in hell. In order to understand identity and to really grasp what identity is, we must understand that we were made in the image of God. Sinclair Ferguson says, God made man in his own image. Man is patterned on and by God. He was made to represent God as an ambassador. He in, in created in human form. <clears throat> to be image bearers means that we are created in the likeness of God and that we are to carry out the works of God. As image bearers, there's a sense of being who we are and a sense of doing what we practice. We were created with minds and hearts and wills that demonstrate likeness with God. And we were also created with an ethos, an ethic, a morality, and a law written on our heart on how we are to carry out the works of God. Yet, since the fall, since the fall, the image of God cannot be fully seen in you and I. And why is that? Because we have severely deformed it by our sin. Since the fall, the Bible shows us that our being is sin and our doing is disobedience. Romans 3 says, none, none is righteous. Our being, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does practices good, not even one. This fallen fleshly nature even remains, remains in converted people who identify with Christ. Let me give you a couple examples from the Bible of image bearers embracing the flesh rather than carrying out who they were meant to be and what they were meant to do. So let me start with Noah and the ark. We're very familiar with Noah and the ark. Noah seemed to be the only man on earth to have faith in God. Genesis 6, 9 says that Noah was a righteous man. His being was righteous, blameless in his generation, and that he walked, he practiced, he walked with God. His identity was rooted in his relationship with God. Yet, what happens? After God rescues Noah and his family from the flood and then destroys the rest of mankind, what does Noah turn to? 
No, it reverts back to finding hope in the creation. He reverts back to finding hope in the creation rather than the creator. He becomes drunk and exposes himself to his family. Though this man was full of faith and righteousness, he was still subject to this fallen condition. Likewise, we should not be surprised when men and women who claim to be Christians identify with Christ sin in our congregation. We should not be shocked when they are overcome by the temptations of this world. However, we should be shocked, we should be saddened when Christians sin and don't repent. When their sin controls them instead of the grace they find in Christ Jesus. It should sadden us when Christians become more comfortable in their filth rather than embrace the forgiveness freely offered by God. Another biblical example of not understanding one's identity, and I think this might be one of the best examples, is Esau. Actually, Esau was the firstborn son of Isaac. His brother was to inherit all, as, as his birthright, he was to inherit all that Isaac had. Esau probably had heard stories about Abraham's covenant that God had with him and his family to make him a great nation. He had likely heard accounts of God's faithfulness to his forefathers. Yet this man, Esau, traded his birthright, his very identity, to Jacob for what? A bowl of soup. A bowl of soup. Can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine giving up your most basic God-given privilege for a bowl of soup? Your inheritance for a bowl of soup? Yet Esau is not the only one who trades his identity in for something frivolous. We do it all the time. We often find rest in sensual worldly pleasures, find rest in wealth, find rest in idols. Let me ask you a question. When you are on your deathbed, you've spent 80 years of this life plugging along and your whole life is staring in you, staring you in your eyes, do you want to say, I'm so thankful that I got to fulfill all my urges, all my pleasures in this life? I'm so thankful that my mind is now full of perverse images. I'm so thankful that I wasted hours upon hours scrolling through social media or playing that video game. No, if you identify with Christ, you don't want that to be your end. You don't want that to be your lot. We need to remember, we need to remember that the pleasures of this world are only momentary. They're momentary. But the judgment of God is eternal. I want to give you a final illustration that came even this past week of a false identity. Many of us witnessed a horrific example of someone who claimed identity with Christ, yet his practice was that of a wolf. Christianity Today highlighted a story of a well-known preacher, apologist, Ravi Zacharias, who has passed away last year. In the story, the author reveals all of this man's perverse activity, his abusive behavior, and how he embezzled thousands upon thousands from the ministry's foundation to support his perverse 
activity. He seemingly was a great actor putting on a show. Like the Pharisees, he spoke but did not practice. He carried with him knowledge, yet holiness did not follow. He loved what his position gave him, yet had no accountability around it. He preached to churches often, yet it didn't seem like he was a churchman. Though this man preached union with Christ, it seemed as if his life was far from God. Let me tell you this. I know that many of us have benefited from his teaching and his preaching. And an important thing to realize during moments like this, when we hear of sin like this, is to say, yes, we can appreciate the teaching and the preaching, the good things that came out of that. But we always need to remember in the back of our mind that God used a donkey to orchestrate his plans. It's not the pastor, it's not the deacons that are ultimately going to save a person. It's not Ravi Zacharias. It's the word of God working through the spirit of God preaching the Christ, our Savior, who is going to save. We need to be careful. This, this example that we, we have seen this past week, we need to be careful that we too aren't pursuing things that will ultimately be our demise. One pastor wrote, an unbeliever reads about an awful scandal and thinks, that person is awful. I hate people like that. A Christian, a Christian, one who knows Christ and identifies with Christ, reads about an awful scandal and thinks, that could easily be me. That could easily be me. God, be merciful. When we sin egregiously, when we sin, we repent as Christians. We repent, we confess we go to our pastors, we go to our churchmen, we go to people who are around us and we say, brother, I sin. Help me. Help me walk through this. Go to God. I was reminded of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, and his sin. He stole so much money from the people of Jericho. And he says, as he's repenting of the sin and trusting in Christ, he's like, I want to return fourfold of what I stole. I want to make sure, make sure my repentance is genuine. Friends, faulty pleasures, idols, and identities may give you temporal satisfaction, but God reserves, he reserves eternal delight for those who take hope in Jesus. Nowhere else. And that leads me to our second point, where we're going to see the gospel. Union with Christ, secondly, gives us new identities and an eternal security in heaven. Union with Christ gives us new identities and an eternal security in heaven. We've seen that the image of God and man has been distorted by our sin. Our natural allegiance and identity is toward our own glory, our own pleasure, our own wants. We, in and of ourselves, cannot please God. It won't happen. As natural men, we stand condemned. Let me, I just want to read out a list of names that the Bible describes those who are outside of Christ. 
For those who are outside of Christ, we are dead men, sinners, sons of disobedience, children of wrath, strangers, orphans, infidels, and heathens. We are wolves, swine, dogs. We are tares and goats. We are deceivers, scorners, and mockers. We are heretics, false prophets, blasphemers, and liars. We are fools. We are lawbreakers, and we are ultimately enemies of God. Yet, yet, God in his infinite goodness and providence comes to rename all those who would believe in his son. God came to us in a person, in an actual person, Christ. Christ said to Thomas, if you have known me, you have known the father. He bears perfectly the image of his father. He becomes our shepherd king, gathering up all his sheep. He becomes our great prophet who shouts out in the darkness, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come to me. Follow me. He becomes our great high priest who offers not another sheep up, but his very own life up for our sin. He comes as our Savior, and this Savior comes to humble the blasphemer, speak truth to the doubter, and make righteous the disobedient. The very one who was persecuted and killed unites persecutors to himself. Friends, we should always, we should always be astounded by this grace. This should astound you that he would come to you in this manner, that he would give you this grace. Out of love, God predestined us for adoption to himself. We're no longer orphans. We're sons through Jesus Christ. Jesus becomes our older brother. And not only does he become our older brother, he guides us to eternity. He doesn't leave us here. Ephesians 1.10 conveys that Jesus came so that we might be united to him for all eternity. His death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave secures it secures, it actually secures you right now. Those who would believe and turn from their sin. He has come to redeem man and to present us, present you and I fully as image bearers, his image bearers in heaven. If you'll flip over to Romans 6 for a moment, I want to sort of show you a dichotomy of what we were and what we will be. what our identity was and what our identity will be. Verse 5, starting verse 5. Paul says, For if we have been united to him in a death like his, hear these words, a lot of these words to encourage you. I love when Paul uses these words. If we have been united to him in a death like his, we shall certainly certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved. Our identity was slaves to sin. Verse 7, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, 
We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Hear these words. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And we join him in this life. So you you, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Your identity is now one that says sin is no more, but I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's where you're resting. And Paul describes a great salvation from death to life. And in this great salvation, in this great salvation that you possess if you believe, in this salvation of the Son of God, He changes our names and gives us our new identities. He makes sinners into saints, strangers into friends, tares into wheats, goats into sheep, deceivers into true worshipers, sons of disobedient to, to elect children. Once we were harlots heading down the path of destruction, but now we are the bride of Christ heading for eternity. And if he has given us these new identities, then we, we should make it our great joy to walk in them. It should be our great joy to walk in this duty, these works, to walk with God. But know that these new identities come, they come with temporary suffering. Whereas unbelievers find temporary satisfaction in their sin and gain eternal suffering in hell, the flip side is true, right? We will face temporary sufferings here, but we will gain eternal life. That's good. That's good. I can face what the world has to throw at me for eternity. Eternity is coming to me. The world will hate me. It will hate me. It will slander me. It will shame me for believing such a foolish message. But I will have life. I will have life abundantly. In heaven, where this life is, the name that is written on our foreheads symbolizes that we are Christ. We have joined him in his death and we will join him in his life. And he is actually ours. He is yours. It symbolizes that we are sealed with him for all eternity. The Holy Spirit that John spoke about this morning, guess what else it does? It seals you. It's our guarantee for heaven. The Bible tells us, though, that some will try to sneak in from the back. Not having their names written in the Lamb's book of life. Not having their robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. And they will be tied. These people who try to sneak in. They will be tied hand and foot and cast into utter darkness. Friends, I want you to hear me clearly. Because this is, I've been humbled by this this week. It's easy. It is easy for you to fool your neighbors. It's easy for you to fool your friends. It's easy for you to fool your family. But God will not be fooled. He will not be fooled. If your identity is not in Christ, if you are not united with Christ, hell 
is the place in which you will go. But tonight, tonight you can put your faith in Christ. You can come to him. You can repent of him. And guess what he says? He says, come to me all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. I will take the burden off of you. He says, come to me. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And guess what? He will never cast you out. All those who identify with Christ, who are united to Christ, will have heaven. They will join him in heaven. And tonight, I love the fact that we get to end the Lord's Day today by taking the Lord's Supper. This meal, this meal is yet another tangible reminder of our identity in Christ. We get to come to the Lord's table and remember his death a death that we are partakers in. We get to remember that he bore the penalty for our sin. We get to remember that his body was broken, his blood was poured out to save us, to actually save us and present us in eternity with him. This meal is meant, it is meant for those who unequivocally identify with Christ. It is meant for those who are leaving sin behind, repenting of sin, and who are coming to Christ still. Acts 2 says, So those who received his word were baptized, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. If you have believed and are believing and have been baptized in a biblical church, you are welcome to come to this table. After a pray, the servants will come, can come. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are God who is gathering up your sheep. Thank you, Lord, that you have presented such a beautiful sacrifice, your very own son, so that we might could identify with you, that we could, might, could take our, our hope in you and in Christ. Father, I pray even now if there is someone, Lord, that does not know you, that they would run to Christ that they would believe upon you, that they would speak to someone about this great Savior. Father, help us now to take this table, this supper, this meal, Lord, to the glory of God. In Jesus' name.